Quick question for you. Are you a Federal Access member yet? If you're a government contractor, you need a Federal Access account. You can get started today with a free membership. Just visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers. Free members get access to about 20 documents and templates as well as our video training playbooks. More importantly, this gets you in the RSM Federal ecosystem and makes you part of our community. So go grab your free account today at federal-access.com forward slash game changers. Now let's hop into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. Hey everybody, Michael Lejeune here. I will be your host today on Game Changers. And as always, we have a great episode lined up for you today. We have Scott Dennison on here today. Scott is the director for the National Veterans Small Business Coalition. And one of the exciting things about this episode is we just signed a strategic alliance with them and it's a great organization. We're really proud to partner with them. So welcome to the show, Scott. Can you take a minute and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? First off, thank you very much for... uh for having us, and we are excited about the strategic alliance that we've uh, we formed. We think it will go a long way to helping veterans become better business owners. As for myself, I was three years in the Army. I was a draftee and worked uh, many years in Washington, Capitol Hill, uh, the, the court system, and I had the pleasure for being the director of small business for the Department of Veterans Affairs for 20 years. And during that time was Desert Storm, Desert Shield. And that was a game changer for your language in being able to come up with new programs for veterans. And I had the opportunity to serve on a congressional commission uh, to look at veterans' benefits and whether they met the needs of today's veterans. And one of the provisions that Congress put in the law that established that group was should there be an entrepreneurial program for veterans, and if so, what should it look like? So I had the pleasure of working for that, working on that specific topic and project for two years. And it was out of that that came the actual first pieces of legislation from the commission, but more importantly, actually started an entrepreneurial program for veteran and service-disabled vets that we now have in the, in the federal government. Wow, that that's pretty exciting stuff right there. And that, that was an exciting time. Uh, to be in government uh, during those particular campaigns that that were going on overseas. So congratulations on, on the work you guys are doing with that. So, you know, today we're going to be talking about the National Veterans Small Business Coalition. And I know this is, this is an organization you've got a lot of heart and passion for. And so I, I'd like for you to kind of dive in and tell us a little bit, you know, first, you know, how did it even get started? Well, you know, interesting question. While I was at VA and then after I retired, I had veteran small businesses that would come to me and they would have a frustration about a policy in the government, a acquisition strategy that a contracting officer was using. Um, they would have recommendations for how to improve the program. And I would, I would always say to them, the problem that you have when you come to engage the federal government when you're a small business owner is you're seen as having a vested interest in whatever the position is that you're pushing. I I would say to them, you know, if we're really serious about moving the veteran small business movement forward, let's look at how the big guys navigate in Washington. And they do that by forming trade associations. 
You know, you take a company like Boeing or Lockheed Martin, they probably belong to a dozen different trade associations from the National Defense Industries of America to Armed Forces Communications um, Association. The, the list just goes on of what we call the ABC uh, trade associations in Washington. And those organizations are established to push the agendas of different classes of business. And, you know, the small business community has the same thing. There's an 8A uh, business association. There's a hub zone business association. There's a number of different women business associations. And that's how you get things done. So when I left VA, I went to, to six friends. Um, all veterans and all business owners who at one time or another had approached me with these frustrations that I mentioned. And I said, this is the time. Let's form a trade association that will represent veteran and service-disabled vets in the federal space as prime and subcontractors. And they all thought it was a wonderful idea. We all kicked in a little bit of seed money, and we went through the application process and uh, – we're certified by the IRS as a nonprofit business association, and uh, we've gone on from there. And and here we are. So, how long ago was that? When when did that you get was, established? That, that was seven years ago. And what's interesting is we're now the largest in the country. Wow! That and, and all we there's a lot of business associations um, in the country. Um, there's a lot for veterans, but none of them focus exclusively on the federal sector like we do. Hmm. And, of course, being, being Washington area-based is beneficial as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we, we have the, the opportunity to, to continue to push the, the small business programs for veterans forward. If you, if you talk to anybody on the House or Senate Veterans Affairs Committee and you start talking small business, the first thing they're going to ask you is, if you talk to the National Veterans Small Business Coalition, we've worked very hard to be that honest broker between veteran businesses and federal agencies and large prime contractors to promote opportunities for, for veteran small businesses. And so that gives us the ability to engage with Congress, as an example, um, to engage with the agencies and the prime contractors and mm -hmm. to, to really make a difference in uh, and where, where the the veteran small businesses have an opportunity to play in the federal space, right? And and that really hits at, at you know my next question was going to be you know what is what is the purpose of your organization? I think you're starting to kind of hint on that. Could you could you expand on that a little bit for more about the purpose? Yeah, we basically have two. One is to transition veterans into business owners in the federal space. We like to say veterans still contributing and giving back and serving the country, but not in uniform through their businesses that support all the federal agencies. And the other objective is to ensure that the acquisition field is fair and level so that, that veteran-owned small businesses have a place to play. So we spent, we spent a lot of time in advocacy. Um, we spent a lot of time engaging with, with the leaders of Congress, uh, with uh, the federal agencies, with large business prime contractors, we also spend a lot of time training veterans as to how to be better business owners. That's one of the reasons we're so excited about the strategic relationship we now have with RSM Federal, because uh, you guys have been leaders in that area for a long, long time. So we're excited about those. 
those products that you have that we can we can bring to our members. Awesome. So yeah. uh, we have a uh, two very active chapters right now: one in Washington D.C. and one in uh, Tampa, Florida. So once a month, the the D.C. chapter we have um, a dinner, but it always starts with a boot camp, and that hmm. boot camp is a, an hour and a half to two hour very intensive session on some topic of interest, whether it's business development, whether it's capture management, whether it's how to survive a DCAA audit. Um, the list just goes on, and those topics basically come to us from the membership. It's, you know, what are the topics that you're interested in learning more about to make you more successful? And we ultimately have a goal, we're not quite there yet, of as we do these, of videotaping them and putting them on our NVSBC webpage for members only because this will be, we think, a, a great, great opportunity uh, for veterans to learn. The other thing that we have is we have a national training conference every June called VETS. So this year it's VETS 18, and it'll be in Williamsburg, Virginia, June 10 through 14. And what's neat about that conference is, is that we'll have a number of different speakers um, from the government and the private sector, we'll have a number of workshops um, on very specific subjects of, of interest to our members. We'll also have networking and matchmaking opportunities. All the federal agencies support us, as well as most of the major prime contractors. So it's a great opportunity in three days to network with people that it may take you a year to meet all those people otherwise. Yeah, no, that that's fantastic, and and I think just uh, while we're on the topic of conferences and things like that, you guys have vets, but your when when you look at the letters for your organization, it's NVSBC, not to be confused with the NVSBE, which is an actual just a conference. And so there, uh, if somebody's listening today and they're like, "Oh, I went to their conference last year, the NVSBE," no, that's not these guys. This is the Vets Conference. So just want to distinguish the two organizations here for folks so what what do you think are because you know your, your focus is on veterans and service disabled veterans and all this what do you think the biggest challenges are for veterans and service disabled veterans who own a small business and they're trying to get in that that federal market what do you think their biggest challenges are i think the biggest challenges i think are threefold one is understanding the landscape by that, it's, I mean, understanding all the rules and regulations that surround federal contracting. You know, the, the FAR is 1,800 pages of rules and regulations um, that, you know, it, if you have trouble sleeping at night, just take the FAR, put it on your <laughs> nightstand, and start to read it, and I guarantee you, you will fall asleep in no time. Oh, yeah. So, you know, understanding that is one aspect. The other aspect that's a challenge for small businesses is access to decision makers. In spite of the FAR and all those rules and regulations, business is about relationships. And people in the government are no different than people outside the government. They want to do business with people they know and they trust. So one of the real challenges for small businesses is how do I get an opportunity to, to get to know those people so that I can establish that type of relationship. And, and, you know, we talk about those topics when we have our, our FETS 18 conference, and we have throughout the year opportunities for people to meet 
local decision makers and people who can help you meet and understand those local decision makers. And then, then the, the third part of that is once you get the contract, is actually performing. Because people will tell you that the hardest contract to get with a government is your first one. Hmm. But God, God forbid you screw that up. Yeah. The hardest contract to get is going to be the second one. Right, right. Yeah, no, no, that that makes a lot of sense. Do, do you think just just kind of talking about this for a minute here, kind of kind of maybe slightly off topic? Do you think one of the challenges, and we've never talked about this either, is the culture shock from you know when let's say when you were at a command and you were there, um, maybe even high up in a command, everybody wants to treat you like a guest. You know, you're you're. I don't want to say royalty, but you but you're treated like you're part of the family, and then you transition and you're wearing a suit and tie, and you're more of a pest at that point. And, and it seems like there's a, a giant culture shock for a lot of folks that are like, "Wow, you know, I thought this was going to be easy to engage my former command or some of the places I've worked, and now no one wants to talk to me because I'm you know a contractor." Do you do you see that a lot? We do, I, that, and you know, it's one of the things that we tell people when you're in business and you say, "All right, where are my targets of opportunity?" Is who are those people that you know? Who are those people that trust you? The, the thing you have to remember about people in the government, whether they're people in uniform or they're people out of uniform, being the civilian side of the government, whether that's DOD or the civilian agencies. Because of the culture of the government, because of the culture of those organizations, those people are very risk-adverse. Mm. They have incredible missions. They will never have all the resources that they could possibly need to achieve those missions. So it becomes an issue of risk. And if a contracting officer, program person, takes a contract, awards it to a small business, that's perceived as having risk. And, well, it screwed up because you awarded it to a small business, where if you take a contract like that, you award it to one of the big guys, right, um, and they screw up, well, then if they couldn't do it, nobody could do it. And it's that difference in perception. And this can be very, very difficult to overcome, particularly if we're talking about the service industries. And, you know, the government spends more on services today than it does on commodities. And, you know, quantities are basically a dollars and cents type world. But when you're talking services, you're talking brain power, you're talking solutions, you're talking um, creative solutions to problems. And this is where the challenge comes in. And that gets back to the point that I made earlier, that it's, that's where the, the knowing people and trusting people are the people that you're going to award those contracts to. And, again, it's because of that, that you're living in a culture that's risk adverse. Yeah. And I mean, that's just the way the the nature of the government. And, you know, one of the things I tell a lot of people is one of the best things and one of the worst things about doing business with the government is that it hasn't changed in like 50 years. So, you know, you know, 20 something years ago, when I first started in government, we did things a certain way and they still work today. The same things. We, now, I mean, I'm not saying it didn't get a little bit more sophisticated or fancy in some things. There's automations come in play. But when it when you boil down to how you win a contract in government, it's the same as it was 50 years ago. 
you know, it's, it's, you know, the same on how you need to perform, how you, like you were talking about building relationships and people, you know, a lot of this stuff hasn't changed. And that really is a good thing from the perspective of, you know, just teaching these members how they can do this. And once you learn it, you can repeat it for pretty much the rest of your career, which is, which is awesome. And so I really like that. So, so, you know, me getting kind of on, on the, the soapbox there about not a lot of changes in the, in the last 50 years or so. Do you see, you know, in the future here, you know, when, when you talk about veterans and service disabled veterans, do, what do you see in the future? Do you see changes coming? Do you see difficulties coming? Do you see markets opening up? What, what does that federal marketplace look like in, from your perspective for the next few years for veterans? I think for the next few years, it's gonna it's gonna remain pretty much the same. Um, you know, one of the good changes that we have in government contracting today is the government is much more interested in in value um, as opposed to lowest price, mm. and they're they're understanding that one of the changes in the government space where the government used to be very prescriptive and it would put out a solicitation, and it would say, this is what I want you to do, this is the way I want you to do it, this is the number of people that I want you to have, these are the degrees I want them to have. And in today's environment, the government is more likely to put out a statement of work that basically says, this is our problem. I want you to solve it. And that's good for small business because small businesses are much more creative and much faster to respond to changes in technologies than the big guys are. And it's because of, of organizations, uh, it's because small businesses don't have the bureaucracies, um, the large businesses do, you know, when there's a number of instances where agencies have put out solicitations and the big guys who are in what I call the traditional integration type work where they put together weapon systems, right? They have they have more checks and balances that you can think of. And, you know, if you're building an airplane, you need those. Right. If you're the guy flunked it, right? Right. Well, those guys do not do well in an uh, environment where the government says, hey, you're only going to get a month to respond to this particular task order, and I want you to tell me in three days whether you're going to submit an offer or not. And the big guys struggle with that, where the small businesses can be very, very lean, very creative, very adept. And so in that environment, I see small businesses doing very, very well. In the commodities world, because the government, through strategic sourcing and some of these other programs, is really trying to aggregate all the volume of the federal agencies, then go and say to the manufacturers, if we commit certain volumes, we want lower prices. And it gets harder and harder for small businesses to work as distributors, I think. Okay? So if you look at the trends in federal contracting, that's good because the government is spending more and more on services and less and less on commodities. Mm. Yeah, no, that that's very good. And and I'm I'm glad you you said what you said there about 
uh, you know, not not seeing a decline or anything like that. You know, we we talked about this, um, you know, last year or so when when it was election season and people were freaking out. They're like, you know, if Republicans get the White House, we think this is going to happen. If Democrats get the White House, we think this is going to happen. And the whole time, uh, Josh and I were saying, regardless who wins, don't expect a lot of change. You know, don't expect, you know, don't expect contracts to just evaporate and go away. Don't expect to, you know, you know, see a windfall and don't expect to go out of business. You know, we, we see some consistency there regardless of what's going on in the White House. And I, I think that's a comforting feeling that people need some reassurance that, uh, you know, regardless of what they hear in the media, you know, these contracts are not going away. Some of, some things change. Obviously, you know, every uh, every person who gets in every job has their own agenda and that's what it is. But when it comes down to, you know, people being able to start up and grow a business, it's the same today as it was under the last administration and the one before that and the one before that. The, the opportunity is there. And that's what uh, we definitely want to convey that because I think there are people who think the, the future may look bleak. So why sh- I mean, maybe I shouldn't get into government contracting. And I always tell people. Today is the best day to get into government contracting. And if you ask me two weeks from now, I'll say today is the best day to get into government contracting. Get in and get going and get moving because uh, it, it's such a wonderful opportunity for folks. And so, you know, with that, one of the things, you know, so we've talked about the opportunity there. What about the opportunity with NVSBC? What are some of the future plans that you have for your association? Where do you, where do you see it going and evolving over the next couple of years our, 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 our primary goal is to, to build chapters around the country and the reason I say that is is because small businesses tend to do work locally and one of the beauties of the federal market is that you don't have to be in Washington to do business with the federal government and there's certain parts of the country where the government spends a tremendous amount of money. Places like Tampa, Florida, uh, because of Special Operations Command. Huntsville, Alabama, because of the Army and NASA and the Corps of Engineers. Southern California is still big. San Antonio, Austin. Denver, Colorado Springs. And there's an awful lot of veteran-owned businesses that, that are in those parts of the country that we think by bringing them together on a regular basis, um, they have the opportunity to network with each other, they have the opportunity to learn and to take advantage of training programs, they have the opportunity to bring decision makers in from those organizations that are local and have them meet and talk to the veteran business community about what are the challenges, what are the opportunities, you know, we've done this in Washington. It's been very successful. We, we're doing it in Tampa, Florida now. We've got a group down there that meets the first Thursday of every month. So our goal is to develop those chapters. The other goal we have is to take the, the very good training that we do at our national conference and that we do here in the Washington area and spread that out to members across the country who, for whatever reason, can't make those specific events. The other thing that we want to do is to continue to, to advocate for veteran and service disabled vets, um, continue to give them opportunities. Um, you know, we've got some legislative initiatives that we want to do that will will 
greatly enhance opportunities for vets. So those are pretty much the the, the three overarching goals that we have moving forward. Yeah, th- those are fantastic. And I'm I'm gonna circle back to to membership here in a in a minute uh, for the the local memberships as you say around the country. But you, you've kind of hit on this, and I wanted to kind of save this question for last. But you know, if if I'm a veteran or a service disabled veteran, you know, I guess they're all veterans. What's the primary reason you would encourage me to join? The, the NBSBC? From a selfish standpoint, when we go and we engage people on the Hill or people in the federal agencies or the prime contractors, one of the first questions that they always ask is, well, how many people do you represent? How many people are in your organization? So, you know, you'll have people that will go up there and do what I call the song and dance, and they'll say, well, I represent a million veteran small businesses. Really? Yeah. Now, is that membership? How did, how did you base that number? Oh, well, that's a number from SBA that SBA says there's that many veteran-owned businesses in the country that want to do this kind of work. We don't, we don't play that game. We're very open as to how many paid members we have and where we're going. So to your point, I would much rather be able to walk into those meetings saying I have 4,000 members as opposed to saying I have 500. Right. Okay, so when you do that, you're adding your voice to this advocacy for the veteran business community. The other thing that happens is when you join, we do a monthly newsletter that we put out every month on all the changes, the updates to rules, regulations, programs that you need to make you successful in the federal marketplace. If you're a member and you happen to be in an area where we have a chapter, and chapter opportunities, you get to play in that field. If it's something where we charge money, we always have a discount for our members. You get to come to the the national conference um, at a reduced rate. And probably the most exciting thing is what we're doing in the members area of our website where we're going to have training programs, where we're engaged with business service organizations that are committed to giving uh, NVSBC members discounts on business services that you pay somebody else more for. So those are, are what I see is, is the key ingredients. And the thing to keep in mind is that a lot of people see the small business world and the government as a zero-sum game. So if you give more to veterans, you're taken away from the 8A community, you're taken away from the hub zone community. You know, because everybody says, oh, the small business portion of the federal market is 23%. Our goal is not to take away from those other deserving small business groups. Our goal is to expand that 23%. Mm. And that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. And, again, one of the things that we do is we spend a lot of time with agencies on market research when they're trying to identify opportunities. So, as an example, we'll have an agency that will come to us and say, hey, I'm looking for service-disabled vets that can do X, Y, and Z. Well, if we have 10 of them in our database, that's great. But wouldn't it be wonderful if I could give them 20? Right. Okay. And so that by joining us and having those those capabilities, um, we use a platform called GovMates. And one of the things that's kind of neat about GovMates, if, particularly if you're in the Washington area, we have, we have monthly networking events that we do with the prime contractors where you actually get to sit down and talk to their program people, 
and learn what opportunities are they going after, what kinds of subcontracting capabilities are they looking for, and where is their effect. So it's not one of these where you're going and you're talking to a thousand people and you hope to get one strike. This is something that's very focused. All of that calling out has happened before you even get the opportunity to sit down with somebody. So when you get to sit down with them, there's a pretty good percentage um, that they want to talk to you because you have something they need. Those are the, 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 the key benefits of, uh, of being a member. Yeah, I mean, it just sounds, as you talk, I just, the word opportunity just kept coming to mind. You know, just the opportunity that you guys are creating for these veterans is tremendous. And, you know, I, you, you touched on the education, you touched on the networking, you touched on all these things. The one that stood out to me was the advocacy, you know, and I, I don't think a lot of people really understand the importance of that advocacy and, and the power of, you know, having a big membership, like you said, to be able to go and speak to groups, organizations, Congress, whoever it is, to advocate on the behalf of thousands of members to say, look, this is this is important to our members. This is why it's important to our members. And I think the, the uniqueness that I see in you guys is, you know, you are you're still small. You know, even if even if you were 50,000 people, you're still small. Um, but you're very well established, very grounded, very stable, not going anywhere. If anything, it's going to just explode over the next few years in membership. And, you know, this is an opportunity for people listening today to, to be part of something that's well established, but still on the ground floor. And I think that's rare. You know, normally when you try to get involved in something that's well established, it's so hard to get to decision makers like yourself or key people like yourself. And, and you feel so isolated in the organization where you guys are well established, but yet easy to work with and, and those sort of things. And so I just I see a lot of opportunity for for veteran businesses around the country. Um question that I, that I hadn't asked you before the show here. Do you have any target states or regions you know you talked about wanting to expand is there like a top three top five states or cities where if you had your wish you'd have a chapter tomorrow yes and those are the ones that we've identified for this fiscal year so we have washington and tampa set up and running huntsville alabama san antonio austin denver colorado springs and southern california awesome those those are great places. Uh, I'll, I'll volunteer for the Denver office. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, the the Denver office is uh, my family and I. Uh, we all met in Colorado, so my wife and I. So Colorado is such a wonderful place. So that that'll be a that'll be a great one there. So any any final thoughts for folks listening in today? The the, the best thought. Is, is one, and I and I and Mike, you did a good job of, of hitting it in the beginning when you said that today is the best day to get involved in federal contracting. There's tremendous opportunities. Now, that's not to say that there aren't challenges, but one of the things that we have in the veteran community that you don't find in any other business community is this warrior ethos of leave no one behind. Yep. And when you get involved with us and you come to our events, and you start talking to people that in any other environment would be your competition, it's amazing to see the information that's provided. It's interesting to see the volunteerism of how I can help you, how you can help me. 
I know of somebody who may have a need for your kind of service. I've never, I've never seen in my 40 years of working in the small business world that, that sense of community and support for each other that we have within the veteran community. And that carries over in the business world, too. And people find that hard to believe, and I'm not sure I can explain it better than I have, but it is truly there. And that is one of the most rewarding things for me personally is to see how veterans really help other veterans be successful. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a very good point. And, you know, uh, my partner Josh and I, we're both veterans. Uh, he's a service-disabled veteran. I'm, I'm, I say just a veteran, but I'm just a veteran. And, uh, you know, that is, that is one of our driving factors for us is we don't want anybody to be left behind. We don't want anyone to fail. You know, I, that was one of the reasons I, I became a consultant years and years ago was because I had seen so many companies fail and I wanted to reduce the failure rate. I, I wanted to increase the success rate of people out there. And I think for you to even bring that up, I think says a lot about the organization. It says, it says a lot about NVSBC for the senior leadership to be so focused on not leaving anyone behind. That That's a culture that can only be cultivated at the top level and then trickle down. So I, I think that right there says a lot about the organization and why uh, people should be willing to join and be willing to join in, the, in their local communities and build a chapter and, and see that grow. Cause that's, uh, that's, again, that's where you're going to see a lot of that camaraderie and teamwork happen is in those local chapters. Cause not everybody who, you know, lives and breathes and works in, in Austin is going to hop on a plane once a month to go to DC, but you, you know, you can show up to a group in Austin once a month and, and participate and help other veterans succeed. So I, I really like that about you guys. Uh, I encourage anybody listening today, go check out their website. Scott, do you want to, you want to plug the website URL here for them? Sure. It's uh, pretty easy. It's www.ourinitialsnvsbc.org. Yeah, so it couldn't, couldn't get much easier than that. I, I will put it on the website along with Scott's contact information for the organization. So that'll all be on the website for listeners. So I just I, I want to thank you for coming on today, Scott. I really appreciate this. I think you guys are doing some really cool stuff for veterans. And uh, I wish more organizations were doing this kind of stuff. So, uh, Michael, we certainly appreciate the opportunity and look forward to working with you. And hopefully we can do this in, in the future. Sounds good, Scott. And I also want to take a minute to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on this episode. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. And last but not least, please visit our sponsor for today's episode, the Federal Access Program, at federal-access.com. When you visit the site today, you can learn how you can get a free copy of the government sales manual with your membership and be sure to tune in next week for lessons from our experts on how you can win more government contracts thanks for listening to game changers for government contractors for a full list of episodes and other resources be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash game changers